The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. theme will be heard three weeks from tonight. That's NBC's Sunday night football theme, uh, but NBC handles the Thursday night kickoff of the season game uh, three weeks from tonight. The Chiefs is the defending champions against the uh, very popular playoff pick before the season begins, the Detroit Lions. Uh, by the way, my bookie right now has Kansas City as a seven-point favorite over uh, Detroit. Uh, This show today is brought to you by the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor Pools out in Vegas. The Circa Million is $6 million in guaranteed prizes. Uh, You pick five games a week, NFL games against the spread. At the end of the year, the best record takes home a million bucks, but it pays out another five million uh, to the top 100. And there are quarterly and season-long prizes available as well. The Circus Survivor Pool pays eight million guaranteed to the winner or winners. Uh, A survivor pool, for those of you who don't know, you pick one team straight up, no spread every week. If the team loses or ties, then you're out. If it wins, then you keep picking week after week until you lose. Now, you can't pick the same team twice. That's part of the challenge of the survivor pool. Uh, $14 million in guaranteed prizes. No rakes, so if the entries go above the guarantee, all the extra money goes into the prize pool. Entries close September 9th, 2 p.m. That's the Saturday before the first full Sunday of the NFL season. Uh, You must register in person. Uh, I did at the Circus Sportsbook in Nevada, but you can make your picks from anywhere through a proxy. Uh, The Circa Million and the Circa Survivor Contests out in Vegas. If you're out there, it's worth it. Uh, It'll provide a lot of fun uh, for the upcoming season. And I'll be talking about my entries uh, during the season as well. So, yeah, three weeks from tonight, 
the NFL season will kick off. Three, uh, two weeks from tonight, the college football uh, season really gets underway. There is a week zero, um, but the full week one kicks off uh, two weeks from tonight on Thursday night football uh, with a big Thursday night slate. But I was thinking just about you know Arrowhead and the opener uh, on September 7th. 76,000 at one of the great outdoor stadiums in all of North American sports. I mean, what a fan base the Chiefs fan base is. But they will be there openly mocking Native Americans, doing the tomahawk chop, you know, chanting uh, as they're doing it. Um, You know, that scene year in and year out, uh, both there uh, and in Atlanta for the Braves and at Florida State with – Florida State fans, uh, that that particular you know situation and scene is apparently fine with you know the NFL and Major League Baseball and college football and the corporate sponsors uh, of those teams and of course you know we've seen over the years a lot more outrage. In fact, you know a uh, hundred to one more outrage over the team's name here than actually openly mocking Native Americans. Uh, By the way, I looked something up because I've said this too um, a lot, uh, that, you know, the mic drop moment for those that hated the name is it's dictionary defined as a racial slur. I don't know why I haven't done this before, but I just looked through a few dictionaries, MerriamWebsterDictionary.com, a couple of smaller dictionaries. Here's the definition in all of those. Redskin, noun, used as an insulting and contemptuous term for an American Indian. I don't see racial slur mentioned in any of the definitions. I don't even see the word insensitive mentioned, um, racially insensitive, uh, insulting and contemptuous are not great, you know, terms that doesn't make the definition super happy or super rosy. I'm just saying that when you hear people say dictionary defined racial slur, you know, many dictionaries don't use racial slur in the definition. Insulting and contemptuous aren't nice things, but they aren't racially tinged either. Anyway, um, that's it on the name issue today. Uh, Did we even discuss it yesterday or did I just do that on radio? Well over 100,000 signatures uh, right now with the Native American Guardians Association petition to change uh, the name. Uh, I want to start with something, and then John Kime's going to jump on with us, and then Dave Jagler is going to jump on with us. Uh, the Nats beat the Red Sox last night. Now, by the time you listen to the podcast, they may already be uh, finished with the Red Sox game today, but uh, the conversation was more just about how the Nats have played and how they've kind of overachieved, and really when will they begin to contend? Could it come as early as next year? So John Kime coming up next. We'll talk about the two days in Baltimore, and then Dave Jagler will join us as well. So I'm going to start with this. Uh, ESPN.com put out the ceiling and floor records for all 32 teams in the NFL. They used 20,000 simulations of the entire season and the ESPN Football Power Index to come up with the ceiling record, meaning the best case, and the floor record, meaning the worst case. 
And I do have a bit of a problem uh, with what they have for Washington. Now, let me give you the NFC East. Philadelphia's ceiling is 13 and 4. Their floor is 8 and 9. Uh, Dallas's ceiling is 12 and 5. Their floor is 7 and 10. The Giants' ceiling is 11 and 6, and their floor is 6 and 11. And then you get to Washington. The ceiling, the best case, according to ESPN.com and the 20,000 simulations, is 10 and 7. Now, just so you know, there were simulations that showed better than 10 wins, but they took kind of an average of the higher uh, end um, and blended it into what they believe a realistic ceiling is. And then their floor is 5 and 12. Ceiling 10 and 7, floor 5 and 12. Ceiling 10 and 7, floor 5 and 12. And then there's something written here called the biggest X factor, and it's the offensive line. By the way, this was put together by all of the ESPN reporters that cover each team. So John Keim put this together for ESPN, and I'm going to address this with John when he's on with me in the next segment. So I don't have a problem with the ceiling. I actually think 10 wins is totally reasonable. You know, we take the injury part of the conversation out, obviously, you know, a team that gets ravaged by injuries and loses more man games than anybody else could win two games or three games if they start early enough. And, you know, by the same token, if they don't have any injuries and they stay super healthy, maybe the ceiling's a little bit higher. But I think, you know, and I've said, I think they can win 10 games. For me, the X factor is really obvious. It's Sam Howell. It's the quarterback. The offensive line, I don't even know if it's an X factor because I'm just assuming at best it's going to be average, you know, and maybe worse than that. Um, Chase Young's a bit of an X factor. He could really end up being a major playmaker for an already excellent defense. But the quarterback to me is the obvious X factor. If you're, if X factor means like wild card, like if this particular player plays really well, they hit the ceiling or beyond, and if this player doesn't play really well, it's more closer to the floor. That's what I would consider X factor. Anyway, um, the real problem that I have with this is the floor. I just don't see, again, absent of major injuries, I don't see how they win less than seven games. I'm going to play the over on them at six and a half. I am. I, I, I played the over last year and hit that. Uh, predicted 8-8-1, eight, eight, and one, if you recall. I just look at last year's team and I'm like, that team won eight games with a dismal offense and dismal quarterback play. I mean, could it be worse offensively than it was last year? I guess it could be. But would it be three games worse? No. I don't see a five-win team. And the funny thing is, if Sam Howell's not the right guy and they're not going to, you know, make a run towards respectability with a young quarterback or a playoff berth with maybe Jacoby Brissett or Sam Howell, um, then I'd rather them have that floor be five wins. I just don't see with the talent they have on this roster. And then considering last year's, you know, they were seven and five. Let's not forget, they were seven and five and they were holding down the sixth spot of the seven playoff spots in the NFC. I mean, they were the favorite through 12 games to make the postseason. 
they were a favorite to make the postseason. And then the Giant games came and the Cleveland game came. I just don't see anything personally less than seven wins. Um, Again, injuries change that completely. And if the quarterback, if Hal is truly awful, and they go to then 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 they're going to go to Jacoby Brissett, and he won't be truly awful. And by the way, I don't think Sam Howell's going to be truly awful, but I have no idea what he's going to be. Have no idea. Uh, anyway, uh, that's w- where I would say ESPN is off. I'm not sure how they got to a floor of five and twelve, other than the national media just looks at the quarterback situation, and to a certain degree, they look at the head coach, and they say, "Yeah, I mean, they're not that good." That's why they're over-under in Vegas is six and a half. But um, I just look at a team that won eight games last year and say they can't be worse than they were last year offensively. Uh, And even if they are a little bit worse, it won't be three games worse. John Kime, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Football's back, so is a winning season at MyBookie. NFL, college football, and a brand new cash-out system give you options to bet and win all season long. First two legs of your parlay hit, cash out early, and use the funds on another bet or let it ride for the chance at a bigger payday. Use early cash outs as a tool to stay in control of the action at MyBookie. Now to get started, go to MyBookie.ag now. Register for the account for free. When you're ready to make that first deposit, use my promo code KevinDC. That's KevinDC. You'll grab a welcome bonus on the house. And when you use promo code KevinDC to claim your deposit bonus, you'll get a free chip to use in the MyBookie online casino. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only at MyBookie. Uh, By the way, tonight, preseason action in the NFL at MyBookie. Philadelphia is a a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Browns. Uh, Deshaun Watson's not playing in that game. I have no idea why. All right, let's bring on uh, my good friend John Kime from ESPN, at John underscore Kime on Twitter. He's got a podcast as well called The John Kime Report. You can get that anywhere you get a podcast. So these two days, John, just completed uh, against Baltimore were big days. You know, we had been talking about these two joint practices as 
almost as big as any of the preseason games, the first or the second, that this would be, you know, a bit of a mark uh, during training camp and a bit of a tell on what kind of team uh, Washington might be. But more importantly, it would be kind of a hurdle for Sam Howell to clear. So let's start there. How were these two days for Sam Howell? I think they were pretty good. You know, one thing with Howell that you don't see is you don't see a kid who's overmatched. And I think that's a good place to start for them, you know, because we've seen quarterbacks here who don't look good or look overmatched or throwing the ball all over the place, and that wasn't him. You know, there wasn't – is he perfect? Of course not. Nobody is, right? But he wasn't um, – I felt like his timing – was was pretty was really good on Tuesday, you know, and I think there were definitely plays he made on Wednesday, some in hurry up situations, um, in other, some other drills that was it was still really still good. So I thought it was a good two days for him and the offense. Where there's still some questions about everything, right? I mean, he's second. He's a, going into his second year, one NFL start, revamped offensive line, new offense. It doesn't click overnight. And so there are going to be some questions going the season, but I, but he did nothing with his group on the job the last couple of days. Yeah, I mean, like I I had described the uh, on radio this morning as this was like the hurdle to clear. You know, if he cleared these two days in Baltimore with nobody alarmed by anything uh, having to do with you know his understanding of the offense, his ability to communicate the offense, etc. And then, you know, everything pre-snap, everything post-snap, then that was it. Like, then he had cleared the biggest hurdle on his way to Arizona. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I do. And I think you can throw the Browns game in there on Friday as kind of the appetizer for all that because he did play three series. And there were situations in there where you get a chance to see how is he doing? Where is he with his footwork with X, Y, and Z, right? So you start there, and then you follow into here, and he's continued to build on things that he has done. And so, yeah, I, I think this is – now, when they name him the official starter, I think that, to be honest, Kevin, like that's more for people outside of Ashburn than, than inside because, again, he's done nothing. And Ron Rivera was asked on Wednesday about it. He's like, all he has to do is continue doing showing what he's shown. So, you know, there's really like that official designation will happen at some point, but it really is almost, ir- I don't want to say irrelevant, but it's it's like, it's just, it's the, you know, we all know it's going to happen and nothing has been shown that it would go otherwise, but it, but yes, in part, that's in part because of how he looked. If he had gone out there against Baltimore and it's like, oh no, he's really struggling and it's not just because the line's giving him pressure, it's because he's not making the right reads or the, raw, or the footwork is all over the place, that would be cause for alarm. That didn't happen. Yeah, and as, as it relates to, you know, Ron um, not, you know, uh, naming him officially starter when he was asked about it yesterday, my personal view is, I mean, I don't, I don't really get all worked up over it. We know he's going no, to be the no, starter. I mean, yes. I mean, this hasn't been a competition for the starting no. position. Um, no, but, uh, but, but with that said, do you think he's going to announce Sam Howell officially as the starter for Arizona soon? Soon, 
soon, yes, but when, don't know. You know, it, it could it could come after the Ravens preseason game, so which is Monday. It, you know, not necessarily Monday night or Tuesday morning, whatever, but it's at some point after that. They're not in any rush to do it because, again, like there's nothing. It, it's he's taking every rep. He's going to t- continue to taking take every rep. Sometimes you're going to name that starter so that way that guy can now he's going to get all the reps from here on out. He's been getting all the reps. Nothing is going to change. And again, it, it, it's just a formality whenever it is. So whether it's Friday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's going to be. So nothing is going to change between now and then and, or after to, you know, it's like, okay, now you got to start getting ready for the season. Give him a few weeks of reps. He's already, he's already getting every rep. So, you know, so yeah, I think, I think soon is the operative word. It's just a matter of when it, is it the sale definition of soon, which we kept hearing for about four months, or is it the actual definition of soon, which is, over the next week or so, yeah. I would say. You know what I mean? Sometime in that time. So, it uh, could uh, be any time. I want to ask you this question, but as I'm thinking about it, I, I don't even know if it's fair because there, there's really not an apples-to-apples comparison because Brissett hasn't been, you know, in a lot of, you know, first-team reps no. and didn't – but right. but. It, you know, how we kind of talked about this going in that, you know, as long as it was even or maybe, you know, Sam was just a tiny bit behind, then it was going to be all Sam, it would be Sam Howell in the opener. How would you measure how each has done relative to the other? It's, that's, that's, that's hard because right. of what you said. It's yeah. not, there's no direct comparison. And while, while Hall is facing a much tougher defense in the starters, Brissett is going with lesser players around him. So I think what the way I look at it is what is each showing and what does each offer? And the one thing they've known with Brissett, first of all, I think Brissett was a terrific sign. And I think he's been a, he is a, he is a true pro in every sense of the word. And he's going to be good for Hall in the role that he's in right now, which is as a mentor. And, and if he has to go play, they know what they're going to get. They offer different skills. And I think the whole thing has always been, to me, it's always been a competition with Sam, where's Howell now versus where can he get to? Where, you know, where is he at with his footwork? Where is he at with his timing? Where, is, it, is it an experience thing? Is it a talent thing? Is it a brain thing? And so when you look at it with Howell, like everything that they talk about typically is an experience thing. I mean, he's a smart kid works awfully hard, and so it's just a matter of get him more experience to get him the timing and the rhythm down here. Brissett, I think the whole thing has been is that you know who he is. They, and again, I think Howell is a more mobile quarterback. Brissett, I think, is going to probably maybe take care of the ball a little bit better in a, throughout the course of a season would, just based on his history. Um, but I think Howell's done a good job of taking care of the ball and did so against the Ravens. So I think you, I kind of look at it that way. And who has the higher ceiling right now? Well, it's Howell because we don't know where he can get to. We know what Brissett offers. And I think if they had to go play, I think they'd be fine with him. But I think for the long range, you, you still look at Howell for the long term. So it's hard to say how they've done. But I think, like, I think Brissett, I will say this, like Brissett has gotten better. I think they've each progressed in their knowledge of the offense. For example, Early in the spring, when we first went out to the OTAs, remember the first seven-on-seven session I saw Brissett, and, and he had to tuck and run a lot of times on a seven-on-seven, which is not what you want. I mean, you're going to still do it occasionally, but you don't want it a lot because it's usually an indication of 
unfamiliarity with the offense or uncertainty with what you're seeing, et cetera. And it was noted because, like, okay, what does that mean? Well, you saw him progressively get better with that. And his knowledge of the offense progressively got better, and you saw that fade away. Again, it's going to happen every once in a while for both quarterbacks. But you saw that really improve. And so I think both their knowledge of the offense has increased. Um, but it's just, you know, what I think what Howell offers, he has a good arm, he has pretty good instincts, and he has the mobility. So when you look at all that, that's why they still, that they're going to ride with him. And the, the snaps that Brissett has received with the first team, which was leading in the Browns game, it was just a handful, and it was usually, it's really just like a, hey, just in case you need him, you want to have him some, to have some experience with some of that group. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that necessarily answers your question, but it's because I think it's difficult. But I was trying to look at what each one offers and, and how they progress. Well, I actually think you gave me and everybody listening um, some information on Jacoby Brissett um, and the fact that it's improved for him as well. You know, Ron said yeah. yesterday when asked about all of this, when he wasn't answering the question directly about naming Sam Howell the starter, he said, we're really comfortable with the quarterback room. A, do you yeah. believe him? And B, how do you feel about the comfortable uh, about the quarterback room? Well, I think they, I, I think comfortable is a pretty good word because, first of all, it is a good room. And again, you have a essentially a coach next to him in Brissett, in addition to the other coaching you're getting. Um, the question, though, is to what level is it? Can this group perform? I think Brissett is an excellent backup. So you start like. That's their, they feel like they're in good hands there because he's a guy, and even when, even if like if this last week had gone wrong for Howell, let's say he just didn't show the progress they needed, then you could go to Brissett knowing because of how you know he's been in this league a long time, he knows how to prepare, he knows how to do this. It wouldn't take him long to get to where he needs to with in a few weeks, right? So you, I think that's a comfort level for any coach. The question then, and I think they feel really good about how Howell is progressing and where he's come over the course of a year. When he was at this point a year ago, and it's funny because I think some people don't realize how far he had to go just with footwork and everything, and it's like that's a big deal, and he has come a long way with it. But to his credit, he's come, he's worked himself to get come a long way. Um, so I think you feel comfortable. I think they feel comfortable that he can play in this league. But again, to what level and when? So I would have. I think it can be a good situation. But again, we, there's still there's still Kevin. There's still a lot we don't know about him because you really, you know, you can have all the faith in you in the world you want in him. But until he goes out there and you handle situation X, situation Y, situation Z and then more teams get tape on you, then they try this and this and this against you. How do you handle that? That's when you're, we're going to learn even more about him. But I, I'll i say this, like, you know, we've seen a lot of quarterbacks come through here. I, I mean, I think he's got traits that you say, this kid can be good. And But, but when? That's, I don't know. So the comfort is in the, his progression so far um, as much as anything. Um, by the way, what you just said – uh, was the one I, I have issue, and I'm going to bring it up to you here in a moment with your 
uh, floor, not so much your ceiling, but your floor in the ESPN column uh, today, and your X factor. But I'll get I'll get to that in a moment. Right. Just, so the floor is not set by me. Just so you oh, know. okay. Well, hold on. J- don't answer that because it's a good tease for people to keep listening. Because right. I've, okay. I've already All discussed right. it in the we'll open. Talk about that in, in the open of minutes. the show. Yeah, but right. tell me about Eric Bieniemy. Is there any leg- is there any real drama around anything associated with Eric Bieniemy or not? I don't think so. I mean, nothing has really changed since like the comments and it's to be honest, it's kind of become a forgotten thing. You know, he, he's going to be the same guy on the field and he has been the same guy in the field. You're going to hear his voice all the time. And I don't think he's ever going to let up and he made that clear. So it's, it's always been on the players to adjust. And it, I don't know, you just don't hear a lot. And when I talk to people close, a lot of these players, some players who I thought, well, maybe this guy was one who complains like, no, this guy really likes it. So, you know, I don't think there's, you know, Kevin, when there was, if there's going to be an issue, it will be when, if they start off slow and the offense is really sputtering. Yeah. Because, you know, that's like players want to see progress. And, I mean, I go back to when Marty Schottenheimer was here. And not many, you know, I don't know how many people listening remember that year, but they start, they were terrible in the preseason offensively. They were 0 5, and the offense was sputtering to the point where, one time we're sitting in the press box and a piece of one piece of paper is floating down from above. And somebody joked that there goes Jimmy Ray's playbook. And Jimmy Ray was the offensive coordinator. Because <laughs> yeah. like they were just they were really bad. But so they're on five and people were ready to mutiny against Schottenheimer. I mean, I that's the worst I've seen covering this team for a first year guy. And then they won eight out of eleven and that, that all went away except for a couple people. Yeah. So the point is like production and results are going to matter in this situation because if you're going to ride guys really hard, which there's nothing wrong with, but you need, but then you need to see the results. And so if they do, now I think they're also smart enough to know you have a young quarterback and then you have a new line. And, that t- and the whole thing takes time to put together. But if you got to that point, let's say they start off, again, start off slow, have some issues, that's when you say, okay, is there anything? Right now, I just... Uh, Again, it has, I mean, really since that day, it hasn't really been a topic. It doesn't seem like, you know what I mean? So yeah. I don't, I don't view it as a big, I don't view it as a problem. Yeah. That, uh, it, it was nice that Marty had all the support from ownership too, as he was going through that <laughs> five start. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a good decision to get rid of him and John Schneider. Yeah. Great, great decision. Uh, so anyway, thank you, Dan, yeah. for that one. Thank you, Fred Drasner, who really couldn't stand Marty. Yeah. All right. So, um, Correct. Offensive line, how big of a concern is it for them and for you? Well, certainly, I've been using big, a big question because, and I'm going to say it this way because there's to me there. Listen, the, Andrew Wiley has to be better than he was against the Browns. Okay, I felt like the run blocking at times against the Browns was pretty good, and I think in practice at times it's been pretty good, and. You know, so I think there are a few reasons for that. I think the interior is starting to do a nice job. You have to get the left guard settled. Sadiq Charles keeps going in and out with the injury. Um, can Chris Paul do it? There are different styles and they have different strengths. Um, but I think it can, you know, the question I have is, I mean, it's, you have starter or new starters at four spots. That can be difficult. And you don't have 
the young stud on that line. I think Cosme can be a good player at right guard. But you're, you have a line that has, you know, do you have the tackles that can match up with the pass rushers in this division? Because it is a difficult one in that regard. So I have questions about that. And how much will this, cause, and this is where, this is, here's the part, like, individually you can look at it and say, okay, there's a problem. Like, can, again, how is Wiley going to do? Is that, is that a concern? Is that a question? How can you help him? And what we don't see yet is the effect of game planning. And I think there will be an effect on that. How, you know, when you're in a situation where you're not sure if you're running or throwing, how is that going to play out? How does how handle the RPO handoffs, for example? And I'll point to the game against the Browns where the first handoff looks like a bad job by Leno letting guy inside. The reality is Howell's got to get a deeper drop on that to, to sell the possible pass and keep Robinson out of a direct path where he's got one place to go, which is angling forward right into the defender. So, like little things like that, how is that going to help them? And you know the the you know the chips and all that. So that all goes into it. So I think there are ways you can help alleviate issues on the line, but is it going to be good enough? And I don't know. I, I just don't. I don't. Th- I don't know that we can say that yet. I do think there's some areas that can you say, okay, this can grow. I think Nick Gates can be solid at center. Cosme a right guard, you know, but what's everything else going to look like when it's, when it goes? So I don't, I don't know. And whether you want to call it a question or concern, it's going to be one that they have to answer and they have to, Oh, what I know, Kevin is that line has to be, all, you know, it should, it should be better than last year. It's really hard not to be, but to what level they've got to play at least be an average line. And I think they'd be okay. But will they get there? And I, I just, I don't, you know, I think it's a little bit early to say that. Do you have any feelings um, one way or the other on Chase Young so far? Um, I think he's shown some pretty good things. I think he looks good off the ball. I mean, we didn't, obviously we didn't see him in Baltimore. I know he was limited against the Browns. It was like four snaps. But there are a couple rushes that I liked where, you know, the big thing has been the stutter steps, Right. And I know, like, in 2021, before the injury, he would take these big stutter steps. And what I saw against the Browns was a little bit more decisiveness, right? And, like, there may be a little bit of a stutter, but it wasn't pronounced like it had been. Because when it's pronounced, you lose all the power in your hands, and he becomes a less violent player with his hands, and that's the strength of his game. So there was a rush he had where he attacks um, the, the left tackle, the Browns' wills, and, and just kind of gets him a little bit on on, on, the, on a slight stutter, but a quick one, and then attacks, I think, to the outside. Or it gets inside and he puts pressure on. Oh, no, gets around him, all the sacks, Deshaun Watson. And so, like, that's the kind of stuff you want to see from him. So I think you've seen that from him during camp, like more of what you would hope to see from the number two pick in the draft. Um, he's got to, you know, he's got to be on the field. And he, I think with the stinger, they – you know, it's always the abundance of caution, but I think he does at times, not at times, I think he's looked pretty good coming off the line. So, you know, I think we'll see where that translates, but it, I mean, he doesn't look like the knee is holding, it doesn't look like the knee is holding him back. It's just a matter of like getting back to how you rushed as a, as, you know, the second half of your rookie year in particular. All right. Uh, I want to finish up with this floor ceiling thing uh, from ESPN today that you were a part of, uh, but maybe not as big of a part as I thought you were. But real quickly, defensively and offensively, give me 
Give me the players other than the, you know, the so-called star players that have really stood out in a positive way. All right. Well, well, I guess I guess Brian Robbins would be a star player, right? Yeah, I mean, he's a starter. So, you yeah, know. Yeah, so I mean, I think he's but I think he stood out and I'll say this like Brian Robinson, the pass catcher, has stood out. How's that? And because I think he's going to be more of a threat in that way, he, his hands are really good. He runs. He's running some pretty good routes. So I think that's an area that you can enhance the offense with. I think Deami Brown had a has had a nice summer. So that would be another guy that I think you could say okay, because if he if those if 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 Brown become can become a bigger part of the offense, even if it's just like a couple plays a game. That's all he has to do because you have other guys around you who are going to do more. Um, Jahan Dotson would be a name player, so I'm not going to put him on there because I think he's, that kid's really, really good. But Brown would be the guy who says, you know, this, they like him in the system, and I know he's reunited with Howell out there, but it's as much about the system and the scheme they feel fits him in terms of because of his speed. He can get deep. He can run some of the stuff underneath the, shat, the, the slants and stuff that, that they like. So, and, and you know, on defense, so the guy, the guys who stood out, like as far as the starters go, I think St. Juice has been really, really good. I mean, that that guy, he has stood out to me right. as much as anybody in the defensive backfield. Kendall Fuller's been solid, um, but he's he's doing what he always what he has done. He's solid and he's smart and he plays that way. But I think St. Juice, the reason I bring him, say him, because I think he's, I think he looks like a better player than he was last year. And he has the ability to go inside. He can cover over in and out, but he plays, he's playing confident. He can, he's moving confident. He uses his length when he's covering inside. He's quick inside. So if he has to play in there, he has strengths that can help him in there, but he just seems to be moving well and moving with confidence. And when guys do that, good plays result. So I think he's the guy that has jumped out. Andre Jones of the rookies, I think is flashed without a doubt. Um, so those are the guys. And Derek Forrest is another guy. Like, I think he's had a really good summer as well. And, and um, you know, going in, I wasn't sure where he was going to fit, but he's, he's maintained a role with the starting group so far. So he's done a nice job too. All right. Uh, ESPN, I talked about it in the open. Uh, they had their ceilings and their floors for all 32 teams. Uh, their ceiling for Washington was 10-7, and seven, the floor – was five and twelve, and the biggest X factor was the offensive line. So, tell me real quickly, which part of this did you have responsibility for, and which part didn't the you X have responsibility? The X, the X factor. You wrote the X factor. Yes. How how did you pick the offensive line over Sam Howell after what you described about fifteen minutes ago? Well, the X factor to me is like they have to be good. So I don't like maybe there's a. I mean, I think Howell's going to – I don't have a lot of doubts about Howell. I mean, as far as, like, can he play in this league? I think he can. So I would have more questions about the line okay. than being good. That's, that's why I went there. Okay. So I have – I mean, I like what I've seen from Howell, and I think the kid's going to be able to play. It's just like, when can he be good? And so, yes, I mean – well, the other thing is, you know, um, yeah, so – I that, I think it was also – I think the X factor was a non-QB X factor as well. So that was other part of the equation. Oh, okay. Um, I think, All right. Yeah, so well, like so, that's why – But, so yeah, but the, I still would say – because the line has to be good. If the line is – if the line plays to a certain level, then I think they can be a solid team. 
because you look at the defense, we know what they have there. I think, you know, if you want to look at the linebackers and say that, I mean, I think Jamin Davis has progressively done a nice job this summer. But you can look at that and say that's an X factor because if you're Davis with that kind of skill and talent, you need to make you behind that line, you better make some plays. So, but I think for the team overall, it's that line. They, you know, and, and, you know, so if they do, they have enough depth there. Yeah. Because something always happens, right? But no, I, and it was a not, yeah, it was a non QB X factor, and that's, that's why I went there. Okay. Um, I just, you know, when you described Sam Howe earlier, it's kind of the same way I feel, which is I have no idea. Once the game start, I have right. no idea what we're going to get. And that, to me, is sort of an X factor in, in recognition, by the way, that he has some skill and talent that sort of fits today's quarterback thing. I think the other X factor would be kind of Chase Young and what he means to the defense. Now, the, the biggest gripe I had, actually, I don't know how they could come up with the floor being 5-12. and 12. If you take injuries out of the equation, right, because the injuries, if they happen, you could, you could win two games. Um, but assuming relative health, this is a team that won eight games last year, I, was 7-5 and five with a dismal offense and dismal quarterback play. Like, I could see somebody saying, ah, oh, maybe the floor is 6 or 7. But because I, I I I put the floor at seven. I think ten and seven's fine. Seven and seven, ten. Yeah. But they won eight games last year with an absolutely underwhelming offensive football team. I am with you on that, and that's you know, and if, and if, if they had asked me, no, okay. I also know this is I don't I don't know all the mechanics of how they do things or come up with that. And it, to me, that would be a things just go off the rails. There's a lot of injuries and et cetera. But when I look at it, like. You know, is the line going to be a strength? Well, it's hard to say that at this point. But is it better than last year? Well, you know, you don't have Trey Turner out there, and you don't have Andrew Norwell, so I think it should be better. And you have, you're not playing your fifth center at this point. So, you know, um, can they withstand anything? I don't know. But I do think, like, how, I mean, look at, I I really enjoyed covering Taylor Heineke. Enjoyed it, right? Right. But there were limitations on that field with him. And I think Howell will be a better quarterback. Now the question is when, but so you take all that. The only thing where you, where I have a bigger question is like, okay, the schedule is tougher, but it's also tougher for every NFC East team. And of the NFC East teams, they have the easiest of the four. It's still hard, but of the four. So I guess if you're taking that into account, but I think the defense, the second half of the year, you look at like the number of big, once they got rid of the William Jackson experiment, that secondary really got better, and they stopped letting up so many big plays. Right. And they were one of the best defenses in the league in the second half of the year. And I, yep. you know, if, as long as that continues, I'm with you. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I have said this, like, the people who say 5 and 12, 4 and 13, like, I'm not sure what you're looking at. You know, and you know what also happens here is this, you have to win, right? You have to win at some point because otherwise, Anytime they're like, oh, there's all this change. Right. Oh, they said this about the enemy. We're going to downgrade them because I get this. There's, there's a friend of mine who, like, every year like, something will happen, and this the reporter, he'll text me and say, 4 and 13. He did this last year. Like, and he said to, the other day, he's like, 5 and 12. Like, dude, you said four wins last year. <laughs> so at some point, you know what I mean? And I joke, and, he, and it's a joke, right? right? But it's like, you know, but I think, I think they get downgraded for some of that stuff. But again, you have to go out and win. And if they go out and do something this year, now – then team people look at you differently as far as the floor, and I think like the Giants' floor was like six. I think they and the yeah. I think they're right there with the Giants. Um, 
So, yeah, if they had said six or seven, I'd say, yeah, five just feels like everything went way off the rails. And I don't, and nothing, and I'll say this, Kevin, like, this has been one of their best camps under Rivera. In fact, it's, I, it's their best camp under Rivera because it's been the pace and the energy and the urgency has all been better. The practices have been more physical. And you can, you can credit the enemy because he definitely came in and changed some of this. But it's been an, there's been an overall change. And I think they're, I, I, because in part because of these practices and the practices with the Ravens, I think they're going to be more prepared for knowing who they are entering the season than they have been under Rivera. So how much is that worth it? And that's something that I get to see close up that others outside of here aren't going to take into account. And it may be something at the end of the year they say, oh, well, this is why Washington won nine or ten games. But I see it up front, up close, that I don't, you know, I had Nikki Javala on my podcast yesterday and asked her, like, do you feel more or less optimistic after, at this point, compared to going into camp? And I think it's either about the same or more. It's certainly not less. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a really good way to put the first couple of weeks here. Yeah. Um, and there's yeah. more to go, including a game on Monday night. I mean, the Cincinnati game will mean nothing. Um, but I there's no. here's the bottom line. There's been nothing alarming injury-wise. No. There's been no. nothing alarming coming out about the quarterback. I think the, the biggest concern would be kind of, you know, is this offensive line, did they really do enough to upgrade it? And we probably won't Correct. know that until they start Correct. to play games. So, And, and, and Kevin, here's like, and the other thing is, and this, I don't want to get into a whole other discussion. I know you got to run me out, but well, like, you, you, you got to go. Like, you told me you had to go. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I've got to finish the story. But, I know. You know, they'll they'll be okay. Um, so, like, I look at how, and and again, we, are, you, and I have seen a lot of bad quarterbacks come through here, and I've seen guys who succeed. Right? How did Kirk Cousins succeed as a fourth round pick? And you know, the way he succeeded because he worked his ass off, and he's a smart quarterback. And I look at Howell and say, he's a smart quarterback who works his butt off. And like, so you, I'm starting there. And I think, they're, I think they're both tough players. I think Howell puts bad plays behind them better, certainly at this point in his career. Um, but you know, I think they also have the quick twitch arm, arm talent that helps. You know, you, you get to your second read, see it, boom, go. That kind of stuff. So, and I'm not saying he's Kirk Cousins. My point is, how does a guy who's drafted sure. outside of the first round succeed? I mean, Kirk Cousins has a, there's a, not that, you know, I know everybody is controversial. Kirk Cousins is a quality NFL starter. And if they can get that from Howell at some point this year or whenever, then they're going to be in, they'll be in much better shape. But it's a quite, you know, we've seen quarterbacks who haven't succeeded. And it always comes back to, are they the first in and last out? Well, oftentimes, no. Are, what are they, what is their knowledge of the defense, et cetera? And so I think that's where Howell has, that's why I'm, that's why I think this kid's going to be able, the kid can play. Because I think he has those intangibles and those traits that translate to success at some point in the NFL. Great job. Appreciate it as always. John's podcast uh, uh, is a good one. The John Kime Report. You get it uh, anywhere you get a podcast, same place you get mine. And, of course, follow him and read him at ESPN.com on Twitter at John underscore Kime. I will talk to you later. Appreciate this. Thanks, Kevin. All right, let's shift gears and talk some Nats for the first time in a while on the podcast. One of my favorites, Dave Jagler, voice of the Nats on the Nats radio broadcast. Next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jumping on with me right now is one of my favorite broadcasters in town. Dave Jagler, a uh, part of the team with Charlie Slows on the Washington Nationals radio broadcast network. You can follow Dave on Twitter at Dave, J-A-G-E-L-E-R. Now, by the time some of you listen to this, uh, the Nats might be on the way to winning a series against the Red Sox because they have uh, an early start this afternoon at 4.05 in the getaway game for Boston. But I I wanted to have you on because I've been talking uh, about them here over the last couple of weeks is just one of this season's, you know, Cincinnati's in that category, a couple of other teams. But you wouldn't think of, I think, outside of this market, of the Nationals as a significant overachieving team uh, so far through 2023. Is that a fair description? And if you agree with it, why have they overachieved? Well, I mean, I think they've they've overachieved to what the preseason projections were, Kevin. And I, I don't, they haven't gotten the notoriety. You know, the first month of the season, it was Pittsburgh because they got off to that amazing start over the first month. They've come back to the pack. Then the Marlins have had some notoriety. And you mentioned the, the Reds. Uh, but because the Nationals haven't been near 500, they had so big a hole to climb out of, I don't think they're getting the national play as far as overachieving. But I think early on in the season – the way it started, the way the, the offense struggled, uh, you know, it looked like maybe that the, we'd be headed to calling another 100-loss season. So uh, if you want to say they're overachieving, I, I, could, I could go along with that. But I think around the league, when you talk to, uh, to folks that, uh, that you know on other teams, uh, coaches, players, uh, you know, fellow broadcasters, the word is out that this team is much better 
than than last season. Uh, and it's basically, you know, you're going to show up for a three-game series with the Nationals, and if you're going to win the series, you're going to have to play play some good baseball. They're not just going to hand it to you. Uh, and I, it was even early in the season before the Nationals really took off. Uh, we, we were talking, uh, Charlie and I, to Max Scherzer, and he basically said, you guys aren't a laughing stock anymore. And that was Max's way of, ha- of giving a compliment. <laughs> uh, it was kind of talking about uh, negatively about last year's team. But uh, he doesn't dole out comments easily. So the fact that the Nationals aren't laughing stocks, I took as a real positive. And, and they haven't been. So, uh, yeah, they, I think uh, just they, they've played the best ball in the division record-wise here over the last three or four weeks. So you're starting to see the fruits of the labor actually turns, turn into a positive in the win-loss category more than just, hey, they, they played well and they lost a, a close game or, or dropped a tough series. Now you're actually seeing them win series against postseason contenders. Yeah, I mean, they had their third series sweep in the last seven or eight, uh, you know, over the weekend. So whether it's describing them as an overachiever or maybe people were just sleeping on them, why have they played the way they've played, especially, you know, those two games before the All-Star break and since? Well, I, I mean, to me, I'm, I'm focused on the guys who are, are part of the, the rebuild here and could be a part of the next uh, postseason team here, and you're seeing those guys, and most of them are, are very young. They're going to go through their ups and downs in a full big league season, and right now the majority of those players are trending upward. And uh, You mentioned that, that, that two-game stretch against Texas before the All-Star break. That kind of corresponds to when C.J. Abrams right. went into the leadoff spot, and his season completely turned around, and the narrative on his season turned around when he moved to the leadoff spot because uh, his offensive numbers have taken off, his stolen base numbers have gone crazy, and coincidentally or not, because he's played with more confidence and better offensively, he's played much better defensively. He's only had two or three errors since uh, basically July 1st. So uh, focus on him first. Uh, Kbert Ruiz second. You want to be strong up the middle. Uh, I think he's been better defensively as the year has gone along. And the, the timing of his home runs and the fact that he has some emerging power is much needed because uh, when, you know when, when he was acquired, and we didn't know a lot about him, but we heard you know potential 20 home run power. Well, I think he ended up with whatever it was, seven or eight home runs last season. We didn't see that over a full big league season last year. We're starting to see that now. So when, you have, when you're strong up the middle with Abrams at shortstop, Ruiz behind the plate, and then focus on the, on the pitching. And, you know, it was a strong first half for Josiah Gray. He's, you know, had some issues here in the second half. Mackenzie Gore, his good starts are, are far and away better than anyone on the staff's good starts. His good starts are great starts, and you're seeing – ace potential when he's on his game. Now there are some, some negative starts mixed in there, and as he gets older and more mature and goes around the league another time or two, you're, you're going to have more of the good starts and less of the, of the clunkers. So you, you focus on those pieces, and not only are they doing well now, but you can see them doing well in the future. And then uh, you know, a couple of arms in the bullpen, Lane Thomas's emergence from a guy who uh, you know, basically the Cardinals just threw him in to get the, an, an aging and decrepit John Lester at that point. And Lane Thomas has been one of the best players on the team. So there have been a lot of reasons for positive thinking with this uh, with this year's club. By the way, when you mentioned C.J. Abrams moving into the leadoff spot, didn't they turn things around? I'm trying to think what year it was where Jason Wirth went to the leadoff spot. And it was very... Um, it was very influential to a uh, to an offensive comeback. What year was that? You would know. Well, well, twenty twelve because right. that year he had come back from the wrist injury and he had hurt his wrist against the Phillies early in the season. He didn't have his power, but you knew the Worth could give you a good at bat and could draw walks and, and start a rally. So yeah, Worth is one, and the other big one 
even more recently than that is Kyle Schwarber. Right. Basically, the, the month of Schwarber coincided with Davey Martinez putting him in the leadoff spot, which is something that Joe Madden had done with the Cubs when Schwarber went through struggles. And actually, the Phillies copied that playbook yeah, last year when yeah. Schwarber was struggling. They put him in the leadoff spot in June, and he took off again. So, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's a different look. You know, I mean, you're talking about, you know, a power hitter in Schwarber and a, and a guy with more power than worth. But for Abrams, I mean, I think he profiles as more of a classic sure. leadoff hitter when you think back to what a leadoff hitter was. Yeah, he can hit some home runs, but he can run the bases, create some havoc, and he's actually had some better at-bat quality. He's never going to draw a ton of walks uh, like, like maybe the you know, 1970s leadoff guy, but if he can get on base and with the new rules, a, a single kind of turns into a double when he steals second. He's being very aggressive, you know, running early in counts after getting on base. Uh, speaking of Schwarber, he's still in that leadoff spot, and the Phillies are coming in this yeah. weekend, and they are a red-hot team. And Harper, by the way, last night, two home runs. Uh, by the way, just as a quick aside, I mean, Tommy John, after that incredible you know postseason last year, and back in June, I mean, I know he's not going to be, you know, Cunha Jr. is more likely than not, I think, going to be the National League MVP, but Harper, have we ever seen somebody come back that quickly and be as effective as he's been off of Tommy John? I know not pitcher-wise, but, you know, position player-wise? Well, and not not even to not to correct you a little bit, but it was actually May second was the day that he put May back 2nd, on the big league yeah. roster after having the surgery in November because they played till the till the end of October in the World Series. He is the fastest recorded player returning from Tommy John surgery. Obviously, position players are going to come back more quickly than pitchers who are basic on a twelve month schedule. But he is believed to be the the fastest to return to an active big league roster after Tommy John surgery. And you know, we saw him the first series in Philadelphia. He was kind of joking around with guys around the batting cage. Hey, I'm basically a singles hitter now. So he he was back, but he wasn't back. And with the two homer game, uh, maybe unfortunately for the timing, he might be back to being Bryce Harper because he's kind of been yeah he's been good, but he hasn't been Bryce Harper yet. But maybe he's rounding into that form. Yeah, I actually think they're a threat when we get to uh, October. Um, so back to Mackenzie Gore, and you said he's looked the part of an ace. Do you think he will be one? I, I do. I mean, I, I love everything about him. I love the mound presence. I love the stuff. Uh, you know, even the emotion on the mound, sometimes it's it's channeled negatively, but when it's channeled positively, I think that's great. And and last night we, we saw a maturation of, of his catcher, Ruiz. You know, Gore is cruising along. Uh, he has an issue to walk. He's getting, pounding the strikes. And when he walks the number nine hitter in the sixth inning in a 2 nothing game, and immediately Ruiz went out to the mound because you could see Gore slam the rosin bag down and that's why he tends to get hard on himself. He's a perfectionist. Ruiz immediately saw that, went to the mound. Next pitch, he gets a double play to get out of the inning in the sixth. So uh, there, there's a lot of, of growing and maturing that's happened, and the exciting thing is there is more to come because, like I, like I said before, uh, you know, he's had these starts where you know, he's, he's a little bit wild. He's spraying the ball. Sometimes he goes 0-2. Hey, I want to strike this guy out. All of a sudden it's 3-2, and and it's an eight-pitch at bat. They're, they're trying to convince him that your stuff is good enough, if you attack the strike zone with your fastball, you're going to have success, and you're going to get quick outs. And that's what we saw last night. His pitch count was, you know, if not for the blister, and if not for this innings limit that he's on this season, he potentially could have gone eight, maybe nine innings last night. He was that pitch efficient. So his good starts are ace-like. Now it's just a matter of, of having that happen a little more often. Let's just say that 
and I'm not going to predict a Cincinnati kind of year next year, but who knows? Uh, you know, we've got, you know, Wood and we've got Cruz uh, hanging around, and maybe there is a superstar similar to what Cincinnati saw emerge. What's the pitching rotation when they are back in contention at the very least because of Atlanta being in this division as a wild card contender? I know it starts with Gray and Gore, but what do you see after that? Well, as an aside to what you're saying, but before I answer that question, when you mention the names of you know, Wood and Cruz, uh, uh, it's going to be an exciting spring training next year down right. in West Palm Beach because this is the year. Next year, 2024, is going to be the year that those guys are playing in big league spring training games from day one. They'll be playing like the second half of big league spring training games, which normally for us are snoozers and really, really hard to do because you know it's players you don't know or players you're never going to see again. But next year, when Cruz and Wood and, and maybe Hassel and some others are playing in these in these big league spring training games, it's going to be fun. And I, I would encourage Nationals fans to come down to, to spring training next year because you're going to get that chance to see them up close and personal. And next spring is going to be a lot of fun. As far as the rotation, yes, you want Gore and Gray to be a part of it. You want them to finish this season healthy and be a part of it next year. You know, Cade Cavalli is the guy. I mean, his his injury was crushing when it happened in spring training this year. But if you think back in your Nats history, if you can, if last year was 2009 and this year is 2010 when they started that step toward respectability, well, 2010, uh, Jordan Zimmerman didn't pitch basically until the end of the season because he had had Tommy John surgery in 09, and then Steven Strasburg blew out in 2010 and didn't pitch much in 2011. So maybe Kate Cavalli can be that guy that next year he's on the innings limit, and then in 2025 he's full go to lead this rotation with Mackenzie Gore. So Cavalli's got to be in the mix. Uh, potentially in September, maybe we see Jackson Rutledge, 2019 first-round pick, had a, had a terrific year at AA, has made his way to AAA. He's had a couple of good starts of late. Jake Irvin, kind of out of, of nowhere, wasn't maybe on the, the high-prospect radar. As far as the consistency for Irvin since the beginning of June, he's been the most consistent national starter of the six guys that, that we've seen make starts. So I think Irvin has put himself in that discussion. And, uh, and from there, you know, if you sprinkle in a, a veteran or two, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But there's excitement about uh, some of these young pitchers. And then now you, you fortify that with the wave of position players who we're going to see in big league camp next year. That gets you excited about 24 and 25. It's a good thing that the Steven Strasburg innings limit in 2012 didn't blow up into a big story. Um, I don't. Re- I don't remember talking about that at all. Do you? <laughs> no. Uh, you know, it's kind of in, it, just in thinking about him. It's it's um, it's kind of tragic the way it's ended. But I still think the career he's had, I'll never consider it to be. Um, short of anything brilliant because of what happened in 2019 and really what he was in the postseason for this franchise. Right. Well, you, you draft a guy 1-1, and he, he won a World Series for you. Now, there were some bumps along the way, and obviously what happened after 2019 is, as you said, I mean, you, you termed it the, a pretty good way. It's, it's been tough. But, I mean, you, you draft a guy 1-1, and he leads you to a championship. That's a home run. That's an absolute home run. All right, last one for Dave Jagler. So you, we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but as you look forward, do you think next year it's possible that they're in a wild card contending position, or do you think that comes in 25? Well, I mean, it, it, it depends what they do in the offseason. I mean, this past year was, was kind of right. uh, you know picking up guys who had been uh, designated for assignment in other places, 
uh, Dom Smith, Jamer Candelario. Candelario was a big hit. He played well and was traded for a couple of prospects. Uh, let, let's see what they do uh, for the offseason. But if you look at, you know, if, if, if we kind of have the parallels in national history I was talking about, you know, if, if 2022 was 2009, 2010 becomes 2023, and 2011, the Nationals finished 80 and 81. Now, that's not going to get you in the postseason, but with the expanded postseason format, Keeps back in 2011, contention. there was only one wild card. Right. There's three wild cards now. And if you look at where the National League third wild card might be this year, you're talking maybe 84, 85 wins. So if, if you're in contention for 500 around the trade deadline, you're in wild card discussion unless, unless there's a drastic change in the standings going forward to next season. So absolutely, I would, you know, can, can, if we take in, take in mind what they could do in the offseason, if that gradual, uh, gradual step forward happens and they're able to, you know, jump up like, you know, if they're going up 14, 15 wins this year, if they can make that jump of even 9, 10 wins, you're right around 500 late in the season, then yeah, you're in, this, you're in the discussion. Uh, thank you for doing this. Um, Dave is so good at what he does, uh, and that, that broadcast team of him and Charlie has been sensational for years. At Dave Jagler, J-A-G-E-L-E-R on Twitter. I appreciate it so much. My pleasure, Kevin. We'll talk to you later. Nats are going to have a chance to play spoiler the rest of the way, too. I mean, they've got seven games with Miami. They've got three games with Toronto. They've got um, games with Milwaukee. Uh, they've got games with Baltimore and the Dodgers and the Braves. Now, you know, the Braves and the Dodgers are safely in as division champions, and the Orioles are going to be in the postseason, but maybe not as a division champion. But, man, the schedule uh, is pretty tough for them the rest of the way, but they have been playing really well. I enjoyed that with Dave. All right, that is it for the day. Back tomorrow.